Ready to start your ESG journey? Get going today with Social Suite, and you could start reporting publicly in 30 days. With investor pressure mounting and regulations just around the corner, there's never been a better time to start your ESG reporting. Social Suite takes the complexity out of environmental, social, and governance reporting. Social Suite helps organizations to measure, monitor, and report on their progress with fast, simple, and affordable software. Create value through ESG in order to raise capital, improve brand and reputation, as well as mitigate risk. Social Suite has helped almost 100 micro to small cap companies report on ESG, with some starting their baseline report in under 60 minutes and reporting publicly within 30 days. ESG is a lot easier than you think, and you're probably already doing it. So take your sustainability reporting to the next level with measurable progress. Start your ESG journey today with Social Suite, an ESG software company for micro to small caps. Visit socialsuitehq.com. That's social, S-U-I-T-E-H-Q.com to learn more. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Greg Reed, president and CEO of Kraken Robotics. It's a publicly traded company. I got two symbols for you, PNG on the TSX Venture and KRKNF on the OTCQB. Kraken Robotics Inc. is a marine technology company providing complex subsea sensors, batteries, and robotic systems. Their high-resolution 3D acoustic imaging solutions and services enable clients to overcome the challenges in our oceans safely, efficiently, and sustainably. Kraken Robotics is headquartered in Canada and has offices in North and South America and Europe. Kraken is ranked as a top 100 marine technology company by Marine Technology Reporter. Since I first interviewed Greg back in 2017, the company has grown to the point of announcing on January 12, 2023, they expect to report $40 million in 2022 revenue, up 56% year over year. I wanted to invite Greg on to better understand the inflection points resulting in revenue growth, geopolitical tailwinds, commercial opportunities outside their core defense customer base, and Greg's three to five-year vision for Kraken Robotics. Kraken Robotics will also be presenting at our upcoming investor conference, the Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas, happening on April 25 through 27, 2023. Registration is complimentary, so you can do so at www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. And with that, please enjoy my conversation with Greg Reed, President and CEO of Kraken Robotics. Greg, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Bobby, excellent. Uh, much appreciate uh, getting back to chat with you again. It's been been quite a while. That's for <laughs> sure. It's been it's been a long time, and uh, I'm just I'm so I'm thankful that you uh, you took an hour out of your day to to come. Uh, let, let's get the full update and what's been going on at Kraken. And just for folks to know too, you know, if you're interested in meeting Greg in person, they're actually uh, Kraken's going to be. Uh, presenting at our upcoming conference in Las Vegas, the Planet Microcap Showcase, April 25 through 27, 2023. To register for that, to meet Greg, go to planetmicrocapshowcase.com. End of shameless plug. 
back to us, Greg. So, you know, like I said, I, I've, I've known the company forever. We've done some short form inter- interviews in the past at, at other conferences. And, you know, the company has really started to, to, to hit some of those marks that, you know, we publicly talked about in those interviews and that you've uh, have made goals for yourself over the years. So, you know, I really wanted to take some time and do a full kind of wrap for those that don't know the Kraken story and how you got to where you are today and where you want to go in the future. But to start, you know, for those that haven't seen an interview, never heard of Kraken Robotics or have no idea about underwater drones or, or technology, anything like that, what would you say is the one line that best describes Kraken Robotics? Uh, we would be a, <clears throat> excuse me, we'd be a defense technology company focused on the underwater robotics domain. And what we do is we provide both uh, very high resolution sensors and uh, underwater uh, batteries and, and robots that allow our customers to be able to find very small objects on the seafloor uh, at long ranges. So um, we're, we're a dual use technology as well. So I mentioned that defense is a large part of our business, um, but also uh, we provide uh, services to the, to the offshore wind and the offshore oil and gas market. Um, again, looking for small objects on the seafloor or being able to show images of, uh, of things that are buried uh, underneath the seafloor. You know, looking back at, at Kraken's history, you know, when was the company founded and what would you say was the original thesis for its founding? Yeah, the company was founded in, uh, in 2012. So uh, ten year, a 10 year plus old company now um, and originally founded uh, on, on a sensor technology called synthetic aperture sonar. Uh, the, the acronym is SAS. And uh, in effect, um, uh, this was uh, technology that had been worked on in the military, um, uh, and Carl Kenny, our, our founder, had uh, gone to NATO and, that, and talked to them about what were some of the upcoming technologies, which were still very expensive, uh, very hard to use military technologies, but um, uh, would add great value to, to customers that are operating in the ocean. And um, so synthetic aperture sonar was, was where the company was really founded. And, uh, and typically that meant selling a $500,000 sonar to put on somebody else's underwater vehicle. And uh, as uh, you know, by default, that meant that other people had to sell underwater vehicles first before we had our own sales. Um, so as we grew over time, we started to move up the value chain. And uh, we found uh, a variety of companies that really liked our sonar and were putting them on our underwater vehicles. And then we had some customers come to us and say, you know, you guys are really good at uh, the sonar side of the business. You've integrated on a lot of underwater robots or underwater drones. Um, you know, can you build can you build us a complete underwater robot or underwater drone? And and that that effort really started in 2015 and resulted in our first underwater um, product, uh, our own complete system called the Catfish. The first delivery was in in 2018. So so the Catfish today is a, is a key driver of our business. And what it meant is we were going from selling a $500,000 piece of equipment to selling about a $5 million fully integrated uh, underwater drone with the launch and recovery equipment, um, predominantly to, to militaries around the world. 
Absolutely. I mean, when I, remind me, when exactly did you come to the company? Because I know Carl founded uh, it. And then, yeah, I started in 2015. Okay, and, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, so I was uh, I started as a CFO and have uh, you know over time uh, moved in the CEO role and then uh, then the president and CEO role uh, just at the beginning of this year. So I mean, eight years ago when you first started out, I mean, was you know evolving from you know kind of the five hundred dollar add on, five, sorry, five hundred thousand dollar add on, so to speak, to now fully integrated you know minimum five million dollar type plus product um, that, that your clients are looking for. I mean, was that, it sounds like that wasn't the original goal. You know, you kind of just evolved with what the market was asking for. Yeah, I think it was a, it's a combination of, um, uh, of, of eventually we knew we wanted to move further up the value chain, but, you know, it was a matter of how we get there and how far up the value chain that we go. But uh, ultimately you're right. Um customers came to us and said, you know, are you capable of doing this? Because they, they saw gaps in the solutions they were getting from other people in the market. And uh, our, our, our whole value proposition uh, to date has provide, uh, you know, leading edge technology at commercial off the shelf prices, as opposed to, um, you know, military prices from large defense contractors, which uh, you know, are, are much more expensive than our equipment. And in, a, in many cases, you're, you're getting similar performance. So, um, uh, yeah, so cus- customer driven, uh, you know, what's really changed since I joined in 2015, you know, we were 20 employees back then. Today, we're around 250 employees. Uh, but really, the, you know, on the defense side of the business, uh, you know, geopolitics has obviously had a big impact on, on the market um, not only was there an existing upgrade cycle happening in, in, in the underwater space, uh, but then you layer on the fact that you've got all these geopolitical hotspots, um, you know, whether it's the South China Sea, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's the, uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine and the Black Sea, um, and even the Arctic today um, is becoming you know, as, as the ice melts and ocean lanes, uh, shipping lanes open up, you've got uh, increased uh, you got increased, um, I'll call it competition for resources and and uh, and land in certain certain geographies. So all these things play into uh, countries and navies wanting to have the latest and greatest equipment, wanting to be able to uh, protect their uh, protect their national interests, and, and that's on the defense side. And then if you think about the commercial side of of the world. Um, you have things, uh, you know, everything from subsea pipelines to a million plus kilometers of uh, subsea fiber optic cable uh, that is out there, which, you know, the average Joe didn't know too much about it. And uh, the Nord Stream pipeline and, and other events like that have have shone a light on that. So um, so overall, the end market is seeing a, a lot more activity and uh, this is a this is a, a part of them. Uh, uh, th- this is a an industry that is very challenging in the sense from a technology point of view to be able to put things deep in the ocean. Um, so what that means is the barriers to entry are pretty high, which means your margins are pretty good, and um, uh, you know we don't have twenty competitors. We have a have a handful of competitors. So um, uh, just a uh, to, to give you a little bit, a bit about the operating environments, uh, going underwater is very hostile. 
uh, in the sense that you know, your GPS denied, uh, pressure is intense, you have corrosion, um, uh, battery life is a key issue for these underwater vehicles, uh, and then communication, you know, uh, limited bandwidth with long delays. So it's much easier to stick, uh, to stick a rocket in outer space or communication satellite in outer space and operate it uh, than it is to stick this type of technology to the depths of the ocean. And um, uh, in addition, you know, trying to draw the parallel between outer space and the underwater domain, we know very little about, uh, about our oceans um, and have mapped very, uh, a very small amount of our oceans today, uh, especially in high resolution, almost none in high resolution. And uh, that's not necessarily the case um, in, in outer space. Uh, our, our budgets overall in the industry are just a teeny fraction of what's been happening in the outer space domain. And, um, uh, but, you know, eventually that uh, things are starting to open up more and more, the underwater domain is starting to get more attention uh, from, a, from a budgeting point of view. Now, from an investor point of view, we're, we're hopeful that companies like ourselves and other companies in the underwater domain, there's a few public companies uh, as we get increased exposure and people better understand what, uh, you know, what the opportunity is there that, um, that, that companies like us will get, uh, get increased attention in the investment community. You know, that you bring up a really interesting point. I mean, you said a lot of really interesting points there, but it actually, this one hit on my next question a little bit, and that has to do with the idea how there hasn't been as much paying attention to underwater and yeah. then on, and, Thinking about that from a defense perspective, I mean, obviously, you know, we all think of submarines and all that stuff. So obviously, they, you know, all all de most developed nations have, you know, a, a navy in some respects. But it's still so that's still interesting to hear that there isn't as much, or that start. It sounds like that's starting to change a little bit. So that 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 was that's new information to me. I didn't I had no idea about that. Yeah. So I mean, if if it's you look, a, a lot of people don't realize that you know there's. Uh, there's something like half a million underwater mines in naval inventories. Um, there is a lot of leftover if you, uh, if you go to the Baltic and the North Sea and in Europe. Um, there's a lot of leftover munitions that from the Second World War that have been dumped uh, on the ocean floor. And so as you're building offshore wind farms and you're building subsea pipelines and subsea uh, cables, power cables that connect those offshore wind farms, um, that uh, knowing what's on the seafloor and knowing what's underneath the seafloor is, uh, uh, is, is, uh, is increasingly of importance. And, and that, is, that is just um, uh, without bad actors. If you add in bad actors that are then trying to, uh, you know, try to, to beat up some of that infrastructure or destroy some of that infrastructure, it obviously places a, a greater emphasis on... Uh, on being able to inspect that infrastructure and have greater awareness. So, from a national security point of view, you know, just think what happens with uh, if a if a sea lane like um, <clears throat> like the um, uh, the the Malacca Straits uh, uh, or the South China Sea or the you know the Persian Gulf, if any of those sea lanes ever got blocked off for a period of time. Um, it would have huge impact on trade and huge impact on businesses. And obviously uh, with underwater pipelines, 
um, exploding or, or, or being destroyed that, uh, you know, there's significant impacts on resources and economies. And just imagine if, uh, you know, major, major subsea pipeline or sorry, major uh, fiber optic cables got uh, destroyed, um, you know, what the impact would be on the global economy. So with with everything that you just said, I mean, that, you know, case in point, I guess you'd say that in early December, you know, Kraken announced the $50 million contract with the Royal Canadian Navy for a mine hunting program. Um, so, I mean, have you been seeing more of an uh, more interest on this side of the business, you know, in these types of contracts on the on the military, on the defense side, or has it been kind of a balance between military and on the commercialization side? Yeah, it's uh, the 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 offshore wind. So the commercial side, the offshore wind, the offshore oil and gas is is good, steady um, business, uh, nice growing business. Um, but it, uh, it it won't move the needle and as much as the uh, the defense industry does for for us as a company. And um, maybe that's a, a a good segue into saying that. Uh, our defense business is more product focused versus our commercial business is more services focused. Um, and so what I mean by that is, uh, you know, the Canadian Navy example, um, that $50 million contract, about 40 of that is delivery of, uh, of hardware and, uh, and spares and training to the Canadian Navy over a two year period. And then the remaining 10 million is a five-year support contract where we provide additional training and additional spares and support activities. And, and that's an example of one particular Navy. Um, uh, go back to the, uh, the Danish Navy a couple of years ago, and we won a, uh, it was around a $35 million contract for the Danish Navy for our catfish product. And in that case, we were delivering uh uh, four systems plus spares uh, to the Danish Navy. Uh, same thing with the Polish Navy. We've won about $15 million worth of business with them. Um, and usually you get delivery over a one to two year period, followed by um, some some ongoing service and support business. So so those three different customers are, are all, you, you know, opportunities that have emerged in the last three years for us. Um, but you can take those examples and you can co copy and paste them in terms of opportunities uh, um, in the friendly countries of Asia Pacific uh, with a, a number of uh, NATO related navies. Um, so there's there's there are more than a handful of uh, 30, 40, 50 million dollar defense uh, uh, bid opportunities that were either on multiple bid teams or some cases priming our own um, in the defense market. And, you know, we're not going to win them all, but we think we'll win our fair share, which will continue to provide the type of growth that we're seeing today. Um, so that's on the defense side. And then on the commercial side, uh, a lot of commercial customers don't want to buy a $5 million underwater drone. They just want the data. So they want somebody to provide them the service and then give them the data and uh, for the offshore oil and gas and the offshore wind space, that's uh, effectively what we do. So a little bit of a different uh, business model for that segment of the market. Um, but it's uh, it's you know the technology is obviously complementary to um, uh, to what we're doing on the on the product side of the business. But in effect, we're operating our own equipment um, for the customer, just providing them the data.
you know, I've known you guys before, you know, you were announcing, you know, these $50 million contracts with the Canadian Royal Navy and, you know, some of these other, even, even some on the smaller side, the one to $2 million contracts on the services side, you know, and you guys announced on a January 12th, 2023, now that you expect to report uh, uh, 40 million in 2022 revenue up 56% year over year. I mean, Greg, in your opinion, you know, you've been there since 2015, eight years, you've seen the growth of this company. There's clearly an inflection point. In your opinion, what was it? Uh, two things I would say is, is one was the uh, development of the catfish product, um, which, you know, we're starting to sell, uh, you know, we're starting to sell full complete systems as opposed to being reliant on other people's sales to sell a half a million dollar sensor. Um, and then the second thing uh, has really just been the ramp of the upgrade cycle along with ge geopolitical events in the defense industry. So you've got this you know, industry wave that is happening uh, uh, on the defense side. And in addition to that, we've got the right technology at the right time. As I mentioned earlier, you know, there's when we bid on a number of these programs, it's us and you know, maybe two, maybe three other companies that are competing. Um, and the other ones are, are often large defense contractors. There's not a whole lot of new startups in the space. And, uh, and, and many times these programs, we will get pulled in. So, you know, we might end up as a, uh, we might end up as a subcontractor, but a key technology provider to anybody from a, uh, a Lockheed Martin to an Atlas Electronic to an Ultra Technologies. You know, these are big European defense uh the defense uh, uh, contractors. So um, uh, that that's really you know what the inflection point has been is the is is moving upstream on the technology side uh, and then also the you know the industry inflection point. Absolutely. I mean, speaking of competitive landscape, you mentioned there's usually like one, two, maybe three other players that are in there. You know, can can you give us a better understanding of? who you're really competing against. And you kind of already yeah. talked about what your value prop is compared to them, but I'm just curious as to what, what that landscape looks like. Yeah. And it's, uh, it is, um, it, it's not one size fits all in terms of the competitive landscape. So if you think about our tow fish product, which is effectively an underwater drone, which is still tethered to a, uh, to a ship. Um, so it's got a power and, and cable uh, data connection to the, to the surface ship, sorry. And uh, in that case, our competitors are typically Northrop Grumman uh, out of the U.S., um, but internationally, uh, it is Talos, a large defense contractor out of France, or Echo Robotics, another defense contractor out of France. Uh, in the Danish Navy example, both uh, Talos and uh, Northrop Grumman were our two main competitors there, and, and we won that program, and and we've uh, we've you know, we now have four plus systems with the Danish Navy in the water acting as a great reference customer for other naval opportunities. Uh, in the Canadian and Navy example, our competition was, uh, as best we know, was Echo Robotics again, uh, as well as General Dynamics out of the U.S., the large defense contractor in the U.S. Um, uh, and those are, you know, everybody that I've mentioned so far are all big uh, 10 plus billion, 50,000 employee type companies. Um, 
so that's generally, you know, where we where we end up uh, to 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 go to market for our product. Absolutely. Um, well, I guess one quick follow up. You know, you, you like I said, you did mention the value prop when kind of some they're evaluating your bid versus the Lockheed and some of these bigger names. But I mean, do they tend to go by? You know, because they they work with Lockheed on so many other projects, right? You know, there and and some of these other firms. So I'm sure there's a bit of like glad handing behind the scenes of like, hey, take on this project or if you take on this or that. You know, I, I mean, I don't want to assume that that that's the case, but and yet you're still going up and competing against that. You know, how how do you in your mind think? All right, well, I know this might be happening behind the scenes, but how do we continue to try and win? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's uh, it, it comes down to providing the customer uh, a solution that is because um, it's not price; the, the, they got the money. You know, <laughs> it's it's it's, uh, it's providing a solution that is uh, provides the highest quality data, um, provides great area coverage rates. So, uh, what I mean by area coverage rate is you be, you have the high resolution data, um, and you're able to capture all that in a shorter period of time which means that the ships are out there for a shorter period of time, uh, ultimately saving customers money. So if we have uh, technology that, um, uh, that does provide the high performance, uh, is very user-friendly. Um, historically, this type of technology required a bunch of PhDs uh, out there in the field to operate that. So we spent a lot of time uh, in terms of developing the the user interfaces to make the technology easier to use, spend a lot of time in terms of training customers uh, and a lot of times a lot of effort in our customer support group uh, to really provide a complete solution to the end customer. Um, we're you know we're we're smaller, we're nimble, we can add features quicker than some of these big companies will. Uh, we react quicker. Um, customer support is front and center for us. So uh, typical, you know, David versus Goliath uh, type yeah. of activity. And, uh, you know, but still, when you peel back the layers of the onion, if you think about uh, some of our large defense contractor competitors, you know, still, you they might be a 50,000 employee company, but as it relates to the underwater domain and mine hunting technologies, uh, really, you, you know, they, you, you might be talking about, a 250 person group is competing against a thousand person group, that type of thing. So um, that's, that's, that's really how we, we compete in the market. And and the other point I would say is, well, you know, we're a relatively small company um, in terms of uh, underwater acoustic expertise and underwater uh, geoscience expertise, um, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning uh, um, experts. We have, you know, we've we've got world class people uh, that, while we might be based in Canada, have uh, have joined our company from places in Europe and from in the U.S. and South America, and uh, you know, we're 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 relatively well known within our industry and entrepreneurial, and uh, people want to come work with us. So um, that's that's how we compete against the big companies. Gotcha. You know, one one other question on on the business side is, you know, specifically on defense, commercial commercialization side. You know, that's kind of, you know, just I mean, the, the, the you're not as it doesn't seem like you're as restricted in terms of like what sectors within that 
might have a use case for your products and services. But on the defense side, when you're thinking about which you know jurisdictions you might want to work with, I mean, do you think about that when you're putting bids out there? Because I'm sure you might get in- inquiries from all over the place, not just Canada, the U.S., and you know maybe some uh, some NATO countries. Or yeah, we are uh, the way to describe EU it is countries. I'm in EU countries. Yeah, yeah, we we work with all the uh, uh, the I'll call it the NATO friendly, the US friendly, the Five Eyes countries. Uh, we don't do the we don't do business with China. Um, we don't do uh, we don't do business with Russia, and uh, we and on our board of directors uh, is. Admiral Mike Connors and Mike retired from the Navy five or six or seven years ago. And his last posting, he ran the uh, U.S. Uh, the nuclear submarine fleet. Um, and uh, 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 with with his background and with the industries that we play in, uh, you, you know, we we deal with the friend friendly countries uh, that are our allies. And uh, there's definitely certain countries that uh, we stay clear from. Very good. All right. So, you know, like I said now, like three or four times, you know, I've known you for a long time. I've known Cracking Robots for a long time. You've kind of done the dog and pony show. You know, you've gone to all the conferences, done the one-on-ones, the whole bit. You know, even after maybe somebody sees your presentation, maybe does a one-on-one with you, you know, what what have investors still told you that they get confused about when thinking about Cracking Robotics? And maybe we can address that right now. Yeah, I, I think historically the comments have been, you know, the business is lumpy, um, and you know we we're a relatively small company. If you go back, you know, we've gone the last three years from twelve million to twenty six million to uh, to forty million for twenty twenty two, and for twenty twenty three we put out guidance next month when we report year end results. We'll show you know very solid, you know, continued solid growth, um, but. A lot of times, you know, public company, you get looked at on a quarterly basis. And even when we would do a $26 million revenue year, you might have had, you know, 70% of that business weighted in the second half of the year, of which, you know, 40% of your year happened in the fourth quarter. Um, so historically, it's it's been lumpy. Um now, as I would, I would say, what's changed now is the fact that we're in, we've won some of these bigger programs and they're multi-year programs. Um, that lumpiness is, is coming out of the business. And, uh, and just there's so many, uh, you know, the, the, the pipeline of activity is so much broader and, and bigger than it has been in the past that uh, we're hopeful that people start to realize that, you know, 12 million goes to 26, goes to 40, goes to a, a, a nice growth level again the next year and the next year and the next year. And uh, people can can start to see it more by recognizing the various big opportunities that are out there. Um, the one other thing I, I think is we've had a bit of a, a collection of technologies historically as well. And uh, we've, um, I think we've, we've really tried to to focus and and say some of these R&D efforts are, you know, less important to us. Let's focus on the areas that we're, we're really strong at. So if you think of us today, we are sensors, we are underwater drones, uh, and we are subsea batteries uh, on the services side, or sorry, on the product side, and then you add in the services business. Um, uh, so really, you know, 
key three, three or four areas which drive the business forward and it will become people, it will make it easier for people to really understand the Kraken story and what drives the, the financial results. Absolutely. All right. So my next question is one I ask every CEO on here, you know, um, and, you know, despite, you know, cracking, you know, you cracking the code. That is terrible. I, I might even take that out. That was a terrible joke. <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, hitting some of these inflection points that, you know, you hope to achieve with the company, you know, year over year sequential revenue growth, but in your opinion, I mean, in your opinion, what, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks that you want folks to better understand? Yeah. I mean, to, to, to be clear on, on what the challenges are in the business. Um, so I guess that, you know, you talk about downside risks, um, uh, you know, there's still some challenges left over from COVID and supply chain. Uh, um, you know, the people environment has been a battle for the last couple of years. Um, uh, you know, challenging hiring people. Um, you know, it's still a tight labor market given all the macro things that have happened recently. The expectation is that the labor market will eventually, you know, come our way. But, uh, you know, operating right now as, you know, we've got lots of job openings and we can't fill them as quick as we want to. So that, that, that's been a challenge. That's a, that's a risk on your ability to execute on, on the business that you do have. Um, other, other areas uh, there, there's still some various electronic components that are uh, uh, tough to get and have long lead times. And if you, uh, you know, if you look at our catfish uh, and components that are inside it, um, uh, there's there's uh, there's gyros, there's power boards, power supply boards. There's uh, a number of different components that are similar to what might go in a in a rocket, of which uh, you know there's lots of. Lots of rockets and lots of missiles being uh, being manufactured out there today. So, um, you know, all our technology is used for defensive purposes, not offensive purposes. But still, uh, getting some of those components is is a challenge. And um, so, those are sort of uh, I, I call them micro challenges to us that we manage. Uh, you know, probably the. The, the, the big picture items that keep us up at night is, uh, you know, just uh, we do have big competitors with big balance sheets. And if a competitor ever wanted to, uh, you know, lose money on a particular subsea program um, uh, to, uh, to squeeze out a smaller competitor of the market, they have the balance sheet to do that. Um, uh, cause they're probably making lots of money in their space division or their tank division or things like that. So, I mean, that, that's always a risk, but, um, overall, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's not all about price, uh, prices is, is clearly a factor, but it's about performance. It's about, uh, customer support. It's about providing the customer, uh, user-friendly technology and, um, so even if a competitor did, did do one of those uh, pricing, you know, be very, very aggressive on pricing. We think we have another of other features why we, you know, we'll still win our, our fair share of business. Those are, those are probably, you know, the, the, the three most notable things. For sure. You know, I, I, when, when we talked about the geopolitical tailwind, because that sounds like that was like probably the primary tailwind that really saw you know a mass much more interest in Kraken yep. and 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 your your technology. Is there any risk associated with 
you know, let's say the geopolitical tailwind calms down a little bit, or, you know, there's just, I mean, is, is there anything to think about there? Or, I mean, are we in this world now where like, that's just at the forefront, like you need to be thinking about all aspects of defense? Yeah, I, I mean, and, and we don't want to sound like, um, you know, we're beating the war drums or uh, our warmongering um, because, you know, no, no, nobody don't wants- worry. I, yeah. I, I didn't get that at all. Trust me. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the the reality is, if you look at uh, you know, if you look at the last thirty years, it's been a lot. You know, Middle East, the war on terrors, land based uh, uh, wars, and um, you know, it, it's not just Russia, Ukraine. Uh, you know, the South China Sea, the uh, the the um, the global powers, the the global powers. Uh, whether it's the U.S. And, and China, you know, this this has been many years in the making, and um, uh, there's a number of uh, there's 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 a, a number of different regions around the world which have been building up uh, various uh, capabilities, um, and, and the subsea de- subsea domain is uh, is an area that has lagged behind in terms of investment. There's been a lot of money spent on. On uh, tanks and uh, aerial, you know, airplanes, aircraft carriers, aerial drones, um, and uh, going forward, the subsea is, as the technology has evolved, um, you're you're going to see a, a lot of increased activity. So, um, and same thing, uh, if you think about, you know, example, we just. This is a, a, you know, I'm going off, I'm diverging here for a topic, but I'll bring it back in. Um, if you think about, uh, if you think about, uh, you know, the the move over to electric vehicles from combustion engines, which is, you know, going to be a multi-year trend. And one of the topics, hot topics you always hear about is, you, you know, we need all sorts of these battery metals. We need all sorts of uh, you know, way more nickel and copper and things that we can't mine today. We, um, uh, uh, subsea mining, uh, polymetallic nodules uh, on the ocean floor is uh, is become an increasing area of exploration. So you got a number of commercial companies out there and a number of governments that are out there that are actually looking for these polymetallic nodules uh, using underwater vehicles. And um, uh, so there's the commercial side of that. But there's also the defense side of that. So you've got all these countries around the world, which uh, might have in their uh, in their offshore areas, um, they might have uh, you know very um, important minerals that uh, they now care much more about than they might have paid attention to 25 years ago. So uh, so technologies like uh, like ours would be used to find some of these uh some of these uh minerals and um that's how uh th- that's how you end up with uh, uh you know as geo even if the geopolitical situation calmed down you're still going to have all these various search for resources and in, in the subsea domain that will keep demand uh, pretty robust absolutely all right. Well, you know, I only got a couple more questions for you today, but you know, from in your opinion, where what is your vision for the company in three to five years, and what would you say are those inflection points that'll get you there? 
Yeah, our, our vision, I mean, overall over the next three to five years and, and just for the foreseeable future is, is we're really about transforming the future of subsea intelligence. So providing the technologies, um, whether it's underwater drones or underwater batteries that power people's underwater drones or very high-end sensors, it's uh, making this technology more useful um, so, so that our customers know everything uh, about the, uh, an area of the world that very little is known today, the, the subsea. So helping our clients explore power and protect the planet, that's, that's our vision. And um, so we're going to continue to do what we're, what we're doing, um, stay on the leading edge of innovation and uh, continue to supply our, our complete system solutions to both uh, defense customers around the world as well as, as commercial customers around the world. And um, just two, two, two areas that I haven't really touched on too much that I just want to make sure that we do talk about. On the commercial side of the market, um, a lot of people in North America aren't that familiar with offshore wind, um, but it is big in Europe and it's big in, in Asia Pacific. And you're going to see and hear a lot more about it in the, uh, in the U.S., both on the East Coast and eventually the West Coast as, as well. And, and really, um, our technologies allow customers to see what's buried in the seafloor or on the seafloor. So when they go to drill in these large offshore wind turbines, um, they're de-risking their, their development of those programs because our technologies provide that seabed intelligence. So, so offshore wind, while not a product uh, product sale in market, is uh, is is going to be a, a good growth driver to the business. And on the uh, on the battery side, we talked about it a little bit, but one of the things that's happening in the market is we provide our batteries to uh, to sub subsea um, autonomous vehicles. So. They could be as small as 150,000 or 150 uh, pound drone that gets put in the water by one or two people to ones that are, are the size of, of a school bus. And the ones that are the size of the school bus uh, might provide a, might do a variety of missions, um, a lot of clandest clandestine stuff. And that's a segment of the market that is really just starting to emerge now that didn't exist a few years back. And what that means to a company like Kraken is it means rather than selling, uh, you know, a million dollars of battery per underwater vehicle, we might be selling six, seven, eight million dollars per battery or sorry, per underwater vehicle. And, and some of our customers are, are becoming emerging players in that space. And um, as a result, tying it all back together, as we look forward, you know, three to five years from now, we expect to be... Uh, you know, a multiple of, of revenues from where we are today and uh, really driven by uh, system sales like catfish and battery sales uh, into the defense market as, as well as offshore wind on the services side. So that's it. We're, hopefully we're still doing uh, what we're, uh, you know, three to five years from now, we're still having the uh, success, but at a, at a much larger level, providing uh, innovative solutions and, and very uh, uh, leading technology and, and and fun to work on for our people and and important technology uh, to our customers. So uh, we we say internally what we do matters. Um, so we're helping our customers explore power and protect the planet, 
and uh, obviously the, uh, the the protection of the planet and national security issues is uh, is dear to a lot of people's hearts. Absolutely. My final question for you before I let you go here today, you know, um, you're even though you've been with the company since 2015 as CFO and COO, you just recently were uh, there was management transition to you now as CEO of the company. Tell us about that experience. And um, I just I guess what the plan is in terms of now now as CEO, if there if there's anything else to, to report there. Yeah, uh, so that happened. I mean, that had been, you know, six plus months in the making um, and, and officially happened the beginning of uh, beginning of 2023. Um, to us, it's uh, business as usual. You know, the last couple of years, we like to say we've been battle hardened by the challenges of uh, of COVID and running a manufacturing business during COVID. Um, so so so. You know, we've we've got a hardened team. We've got a lot more depth to the team than we've had uh, in the last. Uh, you know, if we, we look where we were three, four years ago, and um, you know, my job now is to uh, is is to set the strategy, uh, and, and is to make sure I have the, the right people in place to help us execute the strategy. And from that point of view, I think we have a we have a great team now. It's you know, it was never just Carl Kenny, and it's now it's not never just Greg or not just Greg Reed. There's a uh, from public facing point of view, there's uh, you know that you might only see, the investors might only see a couple of us, but there's a a lot of experience depth um, behind the scenes. Uh, you, you know, running a a complicated business and a complicated world with some cool technology, uh, and uh, we we've got a, a good you know a nice margin business and lots of great growth opportunities in front of us. So business as usual, as usual, and let's uh, continue to execute on the opportunity in front of us. Let's go. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can our audience go and find more information on cracking robotics? Uh, we, our website is uh, www.crackenrobotics.com and uh, we have a lot of good content on LinkedIn uh, or uh, Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. So all the social media channels, uh, we usually have some good content there and uh, happy to take calls, answer emails anytime. Look forward to seeing, uh, seeing folks at the, uh, at the conference, at the Las Vegas conference in April. That's right. All right, well, Greg, thank you so much again for joining me. Really do appreciate it. Good luck, stay safe, and I'll see you in Vegas. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.